Well, I'm uh, going to finish the, well, not quite finished because I'll be referring to it, but this is, we're, we're going to finish talking about the one another's. And um, I was thinking of an experience that I had many years ago. I was working uh, in Springfield, Missouri. That's where we were living. And I was on the national staff. I was national field director for Chi Alpha at that point, which is a university ministry. And our uh, staff said, hey, we need a day off just to go do something. So we drove to uh, from Springfield to St. Louis, which was about three and a half hours away, uh, to watch an afternoon baseball game. I love afternoon baseball games. How many of you like afternoon baseball games? Even more than night games sometimes. So I had never watched St. Louis play, and I didn't know what we were in for, but the game begins, and or they, the people are coming out into the field, and all of a sudden, the shortstop, Ozzie Smith. How many of you ever heard of Ozzie Smith? one of the best shortstops of all time, cartwheels out into the field. And I thought, who is this guy? Now, I, I like uh, Omar Vizquel, okay, for the Indians. I mean, he was my hero a little later, that, that era, and he was an amazing shortstop. But Ozzie Smith was amazing as well, and that was his signature. He would kind of cartwheel and flip out into the field. So I didn't know much about him, and I found out a little bit more about him. And I want to read something, because today we're going to talk about a culture of encouragement and a culture of hospitality. When Ozzy was uh, inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, he was a 15-time uh, National League All-Star. He was considered by many to be the greatest shortstop of all time. So on July 28, 2002, he shared this speech, and he talked about he compared his life to a baseball. How many of you, uh, like me, as a kid, were smart enough to take a baseball apart to see what was really inside? There's all this stuff winding around and whatever, and you take that husk off, and uh, I like to take things apart. <clears throat> Hard to put together when you take a baseball apart. So Ozzy's comparing his life to a baseball. If you know what's inside, this is what he says. He says, protecting the cork center of this ball, because when you get to the middle, there's this cork center in the middle of a baseball. He said, protecting the cork center of this ball and reinforcing it are two distinct rubber shells. For me, those two layers reflect two vital and affirming shells of my core dream. The first shell is my faith in God. Without, with him, I have everything, and without him, I have nothing. And there at the Baseball Hall of Fame, Ozzie Smith took a stand for the Lord Jesus and just proclaimed his faith. He said, the second shell is the faith I've had in myself, which come, came through my mother's love and through encouragement. The second part of the construction of this baseball is manufactured by the wrapping of over 200 yards of wool around the core. I see that this is the second critical part of my journey. I refer to it as the strands of love and faith, strands of love and faith that so many people have wrapped around my life. They've wrapped around Ozzie Smith as a person, and they've wrapped around my dream and their love and faith in me. He said, I'll never forget the faith that my high school coach, Art Webb, had in me. Just about the time I was questioning my ability and expressed thoughts of going home and giving up on baseball, Art got wind of my feelings, called me, and sternly told me, Oz, you're not going to quit. You're going to hang in there and weather the storm. And because of that call and his faith in me, I stayed. Encouragement, especially encouragement at key times in our life, can make an amazing difference, can't it? All of us need encouragement. We need words spoken to us. And uh, those words can be powerful, whether it's our mother or uh, our father, a coach, a brother, a sister, a key friend that speaks into our lives at a key moment. Well, today I want to look at Hebrews chapter 10. If you'll go ahead and move that forward there. There we go. Hebrews 10, 19. And this is another one another. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That's the foundation of what he's going to tell us next. In verse 23, he says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Listen to what this is saying. What is part of our job as followers of Jesus, as people that belong to one another? We have the responsibility to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And verse 25 says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the context of this verse. And I know that some of you uh, ladies are doing the Hebrews class on uh, Wednesday mornings. Hebrews was a book written to a group of people that were on the edge of losing a grip on their faith. They were people, most of them Jewish people, that had come to believe in Jesus as Messiah. They needed to be reminded that the new covenant through the blood of Christ was so much more superior to the old covenant they had. They needed to be reminded at the faithfulness of the high priest, the Lord Jesus, who had died for them, had made the way to God open to them. He reminds them that uh, in the new covenant, it, it's, it's so superior to the old covenant. They're warned about turning their backs on Christ, and they're reminded of the, I call it the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, where he goes through the list of all the people in the Old Testament that were faithful to God, even through amazing adversity. And sometimes that's where the Lord brings out the real character in our lives when we go through that hardship and real faith is drawn out of our hearts. In Hebrews 10, they're encouraged to draw near to God because of God's love, because of his love and goodness. And that's why he says in verse 23 here, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews is a reminder of God's goodness, but it's also a warning to us not to forsake the faith that he's given us, not to take lightly what the Spirit of God has done in us. What was being addressed in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How do we do that? Well, we encourage one another. We speak words of hope, and also we speak words of God's design for each other. Part of how we know who we are is by being with other Christians that say, you know, I see this in you. And that's part of the Living Free class. This is plug number four. Uh, this is not planned. But I love the first part of the class when we talk about God's original design, because I think a lot of people have lost a grip on why God has really created them. We'll play. The, I had a video that I was going to play this morning. We'll play it at another time. But it's about a young lady who says, I'm just a florist and my life doesn't make a difference. And it shows there's this video of her life with all of these different things happening because of her flowers, encouraging people that are grieving, touching people that are in need. Sometimes I think we forget God's higher purpose, his design for our lives. And that comes when we walk with other believers that speak into our lives and say, hey, Derek, hey, John, hey, Janice, or 
who, whatever your name is. You're more than just getting up and getting a job and getting a paycheck every week. You are part of some bigger plan that God has. And it's, it's funny because we often want to know what God's design is for our life. Sometimes we need to realize God has a great design. He wants to show us how we fit into his plan. He wants us to learn how to walk with him. And this is what the Hebrews were losing a grip on. They were starting to lose a grip on that faith, and they were allowing malaise, a spiritual malaise, to come into their lives. Paul, or uh, I believe that Paul probably wrote Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, so we'll say the writer of Hebrews. Um, the writer of Hebrews identifies some several uh, symptoms of things that are happening. He says, people stop gathering with other believers. He says, as some are in the habit of doing, people stopped getting together with other believers and gathering with them. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, where do we get this thing that we meet on Sunday? Well, 1 Corinthians says they met on the Lord's Day on the first day of the week. It was a tradition that was started in the early church. They didn't follow the Sabbath principles of the Jewish faith, but on the day that Christ was resurrected, the people would gather together. And that's why Paul says in Corinthians, he said, on the first day of the week, lay aside your offering, what you intend to give, and that's part of your worship, part of what you're doing. So they had this tradition. But here, the writer of Hebrews is saying to the people, you've stopped gathering. You're withdrawing from the body of believers. They were wavering in their faith, and they had lost a passion for walking with the Lord. They were not encouraging one another. They were giving way to discouragement. Now, the writer of Hebrews says something that we need to pay heed to very carefully this morning. It says, even more so as we approach the day of the Lord's coming. In other words, as we get into those days where prophecy is being fulfilled, where hard times come, we're going to need one another more than we need others before. You can argue whether or not we're in the last days or in the end times. I don't want to get into that argument. All I know that from 1948, when Israel became a nation, the prophetic time clock has been ticking. I don't know what God's final time is going to be. All I know is I want to live each day in his glory and his power. But when hard times come, our inclination sometimes is to draw back from God and to withdraw from the church when really he's saying it should be the opposite. You need to encourage one another. You need to gather together. You need to put your gifts into motion and be who God has called you to be. I had a, um, and this is uh, many years ago, I'll change some of the facts to protect the uh, innocent or guilty as it may be, but I had a, a, a millennial young Christian say to me, yeah, I, I wasn't there because I really didn't think I made much of a difference. And I said, are you kidding me? I think you make an amazing difference. Can I tell you something for every one of you here? There's a reason why you're here today. And it's not just a reason why you gather as believers. There's a reason every day why you go out to work. I've loved hearing some of the stories. Uh, some of us are reading the neighbor book. And if you haven't gotten that, the art of neighboring is a great book. But I'm, I'm hearing people say, God is just changing things in my heart. And uh, where's Mike Hepworth? Oh, Mike's in uh, Kids on the Rock right now. But twice this week, God took him out of his normal everyday routine. And he's got a very important job. He's got a lot of things going on. And uh, the Lord said, pick up that hitchhiker. Turned out that the guy was somebody that had loved the Lord, had fallen away from God, was totally out of it. And Mike said, I drove back twice to look at this guy. And I said, are you sure, Lord, you want me to pick this guy up? 
walking along Route 14, you know, just heading. And he picked him up, and the next thing he knew, Mike was speaking prophetically into this guy's life. He said, you knew the Lord in the 1990s, and the Lord sent me to, today to, to pick you up. And just an amazing thing that was going on. But when you are walking with the Lord, you never know what's going to happen in your day, how you can put your gifts to work. If you have the attitude that I really have no purpose for my life, or there's nothing there, you've lost a grip on the real design that God has for you. You do make a difference. There's a reason why you're here. Each one of you has gifts that are unique in the body of Christ. Every one of you has something to share, to give. It could be a word spoken to someone after the service while we're having cake. It could be uh, something that uh, just encouraging somebody uh, by listening to them. And by the way, sometimes we, the ministry we do, we don't have to talk. Sometimes it's listening, loving people, uh, just being there for them. But God has a purpose and a reason. As a pastor, um, I have to tell you that I see some of the patterns that the writer of Hebrews was seeing in the church today, among God's people today. Uh, a pastor commented to me a couple years ago, and I can say who it was. It was Bishop Johnson, Joey Johnson. He said, you know, he said, I'm seeing a trend in, not in my church, but they've got Bethel Fellowship of Churches. I think they have 40 churches in their network. He said, what I'm hearing from a lot of pastors is that uh, people, when things used to get tough, they used to draw near to God and draw near to the church. He said, now people are ghosting. They're just dropping out. And when things get tough, they just disappear. And it's almost like they withdraw from anything. That's what was happening in Hebrews. That's what was going on here. And the writer of Hebrews says, this is wrong. As a pastor, I, I, I'm thinking of the words of Jesus. I think it's Matthew chapter 19, where he looked at the people and he said, they seemed harassed like sheep without a shepherd. I'm noticing a lot of people in the church look harassed. They're almost at the edge. And, and I don't know how to pastor them. I'm going to be real frank with you right now because people's lives are so full of so many things. And I, and I suspect a lot of things that God never put there. It's like if one other thing happens, it's the straw that'll break the camel's back. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, I've got to tell you, I was raised in a church where guilt was a powerful weapon that was used on us almost every week. We, there was guilt to give money in the offering. Uh, there was guilt to come back Sunday night because they had a second service. Janice is nodding her head. We still, I'm always recovering from guilt. So as a pastor, sometimes I neglect to say hard things because I don't want to put guilt on you. I don't want to put any guilt on anybody. The whole idea of you gathering together with other believers, it's not about me. At this season in my life, I don't need you to be here to actualize my life and make me feel important. I know who I am in Christ. The Lord told me years ago, he said, don't pay attention to the size of your church. Don't pay attention to this or that. He said, when you stand before me, it's all going to be about your obedience to me. You do what I want you to do, and don't worry about whether people respond or not. That's not your responsibility. You speak the word, you be faithful to me, and I'll take care of the rest. And he has. But what I want to say to you is, it's breaking my heart to see people losing a grip, and I'm concerned about what I see in the church. I think this word about being a one another and encouraging one another, being connected to one another, understanding that it is important that we have a, a role to play in gathering together, is so important. Paul says something in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, when you come, you bring a gift, you bring a psalm, you bring a word to share. 
So the idea of the church in the first century was not to come and be part of a show where you just took in and you were somebody that uh, sat there and took in, but you were supposed to come ready to serve and put your gifts in action for everybody else. You don't need me as a pastor to tell you if you have a gift of mercy that you should be reaching out in love and helping heal the hearts of the people around you. I hear about some of the things that happen, and it blesses me when I hear that somebody said to me, you know, my car was broken down, and somebody in your church paid for all my repairs and took care of that. I've heard that like three or four times in the last year. I love hearing stuff like that. What is that gift, by the way? It's a gift of helps, and probably a lot of other gifts as well. That doesn't need to be coordinated by me from the front. It needs to be obeyed by the Holy Spirit in doing. But every one of us has a role to play. When we withdraw from God, it's the exact opposite of often what we need. And people seem tired. The new normal, I hear pastors saying, well, the new normal of my church is I expect to see committed believers twice a month. I have worship leaders, not just here in our church, although I've heard it from some of our worship leaders, but worship leaders in other churches say, why is it when we start the service that uh, 15% of the people are there and they kind of ooze in over 20 or 30 minutes? I had one uh, person from another ethnic church tell me, he said, well, in our church, he said, there are people that come for the worship, they're there early. Then there are people that come for the word, they show up somewhere in the middle of service, and there are people that just come to hang out with other people, they'll come 10 minutes before the service ends. Yo, some of you are smiling. So here's the whole deal. As we talk about being a culture of honor and encouragement, can you encourage our worship leaders and try to be here on time? I'm not putting guilt on you. I'm just saying it's a matter of honor because who are we here for? It's to honor the Lord. Now, I, I have grandkids, and I know that there is an exponential battle. I don't know why it is. On Saturday morning, the kids will get up at 6.30 and want to watch cartoons. Papa, can you make us pancakes? It's 6.45 Sunday morning. Okay, it's like 8 o'clock, and I'm tired, Papa, I can't get up. So I know where you are as parents, some of you parents, okay? There's something about gathering for the Lord. There's this resistance that's there. But I guess what I want to speak to is I don't want you to feel guilty. I'm not trying to just get you here. But there's something about the heart and a passion of expectancy and a desire to be there, a desire to honor, honoring one another, honoring the Lord. Years ago, uh, a friend of mine, Bob, uh, went to, he was invited to South Korea to speak at uh, David Young Cho's church in Seoul, Korea. And uh, he was asked to speak to the university community, which is, was a small group of about 7,500 kids. And as you know, that church is like almost a million. They meet over all these different meetings in different places. And their meeting was late at night because to use the build, they use their building all the time. So they I uh, had to meet late at night, and Bob said he went in, and he said when he got there, he thought that they were just coming early for the meeting. He said everybody was there, and he said there was this cacophony of noise. People were just lifting their voices up and praise and prayer. They had to ring a gong in the meeting to get people to stop praising God so they could start the meeting. Let that sink in. Now, I know sometimes you hear missionaries come and they try to make you feel bad. I don't want to make you feel bad, but here's, here's the real issue. I said, Lord, what's really going on here? He said, my people have made their lives so full of stuff that instead of worship being a number one priority in their life, it's something they do if they have any left. 
And I feel like I need to tell you that because I feel like that's a lot of what's going on here. It's hard to compete with a heart that's already full that has very little room left for Jesus. And as we talk about the one another's here, if you don't have margin in your life, you're not going to be able to be who God has created you to be. And I can't help you with this. Every one of you are going to have to deal with this one-on-one with the Lord. What I mean by margin is, is that we have enough margin in our life, and the Bible says it, that we work with our hands so that we have extra to share with those in need around us. That's margin, okay? Instead of going out on credit card debt and to such a point that our lives are in crisis and we have to work and work and work and we're behind the eight ball trying to get out of debt. By the way, we're doing Crown Financial later next year if you want the financial part. But it also means time-wise. If you have so little time for the Lord that's left in your everyday life and you're giving him the leftovers, you're not going to experience the joy of the Lord. It's a matter of understanding who God is and how worthy he is. It's a matter of understanding what the Lord wants to do in us and how he wants to transform our lives. And I feel like the Lord is saying it's time to make margin. Somebody said to me, so what are you doing about it? I just moved from another property that took a lot of responsibility. And Janice and I, for the first time, have more margin in our lives. Going to be transparent about that and say that? It was hard to make that move. It was hard to adjust our lives. We've been giving stuff away. We've been simplifying our lives because the Lord said, make margin in your life. And I'm enjoying having that margin. So don't guilt out on me here, but honestly ask the Lord, Lord, what about my heart? What about where I am in this whole thing? People are lacking margin in their lives, and because of that, any little thing that comes along can take them out. We need the encouragement of gathering in the Lord's presence and ministering to one another. Hebrews 3.13 says, Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You need to understand there's a spiritual war going on. If you don't get that yet, it's happening. Satan and his demonic horde will do everything they can to isolate you and separate you from God and from God's people. He'll give you every excuse. I've had good committed Christians tell me how much they feel the resistance of the enemy and trying to get to that place of obeying the Lord. I know that's true. The enemy will seek to block you most when it's strategic for you to be in God's presence with his people. And the Bible tells us here in Hebrews it'll be more intense as the day of the Lord's return approaches. We'll need one another more and not less. In light of that, it makes sense to me now what the Lord spoke to us at the beginning of this year. Remember I shared in the first message of the year some of the things that I felt like the Lord was saying to us, and the Lord said, you need to remind the people to Sabbath and have a Sabbath in their life, a time where they take a rest. Are you doing that? Janice and I fight for our Sabbath on Friday. We get more phone calls and more stuff, but on Friday, that's our day off where we take time to be alone in the Lord. Can I tell, can I tell you the Lord speaks to me more that day than any other day because I'm just quiet before him and doing something entirely different? but it's a time of reflection. It's a time of of waiting on the Lord. You're going to have to find your place to Sabbath. But also the Lord told us about hospitality. 
And in the season that's coming, I really feel like we need to learn to be together. And not just on Sunday morning, I believe the house church being in uh, small groups is an important thing too. Paul made it very clear in Acts when he talked to the elders from Ephesus. He says, I talked to you. When I met with you, I met publicly and also house to house. And I feel like in this season, we're going to learn, need to learn all over again how to be together with the Lord and one another. This is a key priority, what the Lord wants to do. There are three initiatives that I think the Lord is doing right now at River of Life. He's teaching us the art of neighboring, reaching out to our neighbors, starting life groups, and I have a group of people talking about that, the restoration of home-based gatherings with a biblical emphasis, and then also discovering God's joy and serving God through your vocation. He doesn't want you on Monday to have a totally different perspective. He wants you to make a difference where you live, where you work, where your neighborhood, what you're doing. But hospitality is a big part of this. Let me close with this. This really, as I was thinking about it this week, this really hit me. Do you remember the story when the Apostle Peter was in prison and uh, he had been uh, locked up and um, they were, he was going to be executed because uh, the Herod had already killed James and Peter was next on the list? And I love the story. The angel shows up and Peter thinks he's dreaming, but all of a sudden the chains are broken and Peter is free. And he heads out. In verse 8, it says, The angel said to him, Put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. He said, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Peter had never had anything happen like that before. Well, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of the street, suddenly the angel left him. Now, if you were in that place, what would you do? Well, Peter goes to the place he was loved. He goes to the church. But where was the church? It was his house church. It was the church that was meeting and praying for him. It says this. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and they were praying. By the way, how many people were named Mary in the New Testament? I'm still trying to figure that out. Miriam was a very power, a very popular name back then. Well, Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Don't you love that? She said, Peter's here, and, she, and he leaves, leaves him at the door. The door is still locked. One of the versions, by the way, says Peter's ghost is here. So I don't know which version is correct there, but uh, they, they had a hard time believing Peter was still alive. Peter goes to the people that he loved, the people that would encourage him, the people that were there for him. Everybody, like Peter, needs a group of people you can go to. I love the story this morning that I heard from the people that were coming into the church. They came here and they found people they could go to, people that would encourage them, people that would speak to them, people that offered hospitality. This is what being a follower of Jesus is all about. 1 Peter 4.9 says this, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Now, let me redefine hospitality in a sentence. We'll talk more about it later this year. I might even have Janice do a thing on hospitality. It's not about baking the perfect cake. It's not about getting together necessarily and having everything in your house beautiful. If This is not a Martha Stewart moment. Hospitality, in the biblical sense, is opening your heart up to people that need to be with God and with other people, people that need to be ministered to. It could be a cup of weak tea. It doesn't matter what you serve. It doesn't matter if you serve anything. It's a heart full of love that welcomes people in, that's transforming. And this is something that God wants to develop in our church. So when we talk about one another's, Are you hearing what I'm saying today? The need to gather together and encourage one another. The need to reach out and open our hearts. Without the support and encouragement of one another, uh, we're not going to make it. We really need that encouragement. Let me end with this story. How many of you know that it was Christian abolitionists that ended slavery in England in the early 19th century? This is something that's left out of a lot of history books, that the people that warred on behalf of ending slavery in, and right here, Hudson, Ohio, was one of the centers of that warfare against slavery. John Brown, 1836, stood up at what is now the City Hall, then it was, I think, the Congregational Church, and declared war on slavery. John Brown was a controversial guy, but one thing he got right is slavery was a pernicious evil that needed to be ended. There were also Christians in Uh, England that fought to have slavery ended, and they were primarily believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that fought that war. How many of you heard that in your history books? Wilberforce, yeah. So listen to this about Wilberforce. Carol Porter writes this uh, account in Leadership Magazine uh, about um, the Christian abolitionists' battle to end slavery. She said, quote, for years, William Wilberforce pushed Britain's parliament to abolish slavery discouraged he was about to give up. And I'll stop there and say, if you read the story of Wilberforce, there were so many times he almost gave up. He just said, I, I've had it. I can't, I can't do this anymore. His, felt, his health was failing. Well, his elderly friend, John Wesley, who's connected with the Methodist movement, heard of it from his deathbed, and he called for a pen and paper. With trembling hand, Wesley wrote, Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? All of them are stronger than God. Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till every, even American slavery, shall vanish away before it. And that's the end of Wesley's quote. Wesley died six days later. Wilberforce went on for 45 more years. He never gave up speaking before Parliament. People would shout him down. People would make fun of him. He gave all of his treasure, but he was committed to see that happen. In 1833, three days before he died, he saw slavery abolished in Britain. Even the greatest people need encouragement. We just bow our heads. Some of you today need encouragement. Maybe you're like the people in Hebrews that were losing a grip on their faith and you've forgotten how good God is, how faithful he is, how much he loves us. And the Lord is wanting to encourage you onward today. Some of us knew in the past how good God was, but we've allowed things into our life 
that are competing with what the Lord wants us to do. And I have this strong feeling for many of us. It's not just a couple. It's for many people that are here today. There are things that have gotten in the way of God's dream for you. And you've settled for second best. And you've lost your, your joy and your zeal for the Lord. And the Lord is saying, will you lay it down? Will you trust me? Will you come back to me? God is calling. He wants to restore a joy and a zeal and a, and a delight in our hearts. How many of you would say, I need that today? Just raise your hand. Just raise it to the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. A lot of people. Can we stand together? Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Can you just say in your own heart to the Lord right now, he hears our thoughts. He hears the thoughts and intents of our heart. If you want to say it out loud, that's fine too. But Lord, we need you. Can we say to the Lord, Lord, if there's anything in the way of what you want to do in me, I just want to lay it down. You may not even know what it is, but you need to say, Lord, show me. I just open my heart up to you. There are gifts that God wants to reactivate in our hearts. There's original design that has been lost that the Lord wants to reestablish in our hearts. God has a purpose and design for each one of us. And Lord, this morning we just say, we open our hearts to you for all who can say that. We open our hearts to you and say, Lord, will you remove anything and show us what we, what we need to do, what our response needs to be today? so that we can have the kind of margin in our lives to obey you, to encourage others, to offer hospitality, to reach out to people around us in need. Help us, God, restore what has been lost in our lives. We ask you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. But I would encourage you this week to get alone with the Lord. This is something between you and him and say, Lord, what are those things that you want to move out of the way so that I can flourish and thrive in you? And can we do that? How many of you are saying I'm going to do that this week? Let's do it. Let's go in the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ.